The One Story is TS Studios weekly podcast series where we narrate the Spotil's long-form features at the intersection of health, gender, and culture. How tech firms are capitalizing on the fear of a COVID learning gap by Soumya Kalya. This article was published in the Spotil on March 3, 2022. Amrita's eyes dot impatiently towards her 10-year-old son waiting for a notification to pop on the laptop screen 2:30 p.m. a half hour delay to the science class again she thinks to herself at this point it had been more than 18 months since nishant attended a class within the beach plastered walls of a public school in new delhi one question routinely plagued amrita How do you make up for education that is lost? Amrita thought of signing up her son for an educational technology platform like Baijus or Vedantu. These were big names. Intricately crafted online classes, these nifty companies claim, will solve the problem of school closures. And the claim is enough for Amrita. We would do anything for our children. Like Nishant More than 320 million children have been out of school premises for almost 2 years now. What is increasingly being referred to as the covid learning gap. But unlike Nishant, a significant number of these children are not getting any form of education at all. The real learning gap refers to those children who don't have access to digital resources and are consequently completely missing out. However, for edtech firms to use the learning gap as a catchphrase serves as a highly effective marketing tool to sell more of an aspiration i think the use of education gap as a marketing tactic is really heartbreaking people definitely buy into that insecurity says vanshika singh a researcher at an ngo working in the education sector she's right nothing quite sells like fear last month for instance Baijus carried out an advertisement with a sort of lines. The covid learning gap could affect your child's future. Let's fill this gap together. Bold persuasive words. The assumption here is that students who have access to digital resources and the money to take endless paid subscriptions are the only ones being affected by the pandemic. But therein lies a paradox. The claim is to fix the global learning gap. created due to a digital divide by offering more online classes some studies already show how the use of edtech may exacerbate the unequal impact of school closures on student learning as more semi privileged and elite students opt for these parallel models others will either be pushed into debt or continue to be excluded from the knowledge gap discourse moreover the term learning gap in itself misses a lot of things the concern spills beyond whether teachers are taking classes or if students have devices one of the biggest challenges in periurban areas has been the provision of electricity a lot of places don't really get electricity all day round or they have a fixed time here adds vanchika according to a 2020 survey conducted by ncert almost 28% of students lacked access to proper electricity Further, according to the 2021 annual status of education report, 
the foundational reading level among underprivileged students surveyed between classes 1 to 7 was lower than at any time in the last decade the pandemic has placed children 2 years behind their learning targets however government school kids were already on average 4 years behind due to poor educational infrastructure to put this in perspective underprivileged children now entering grade 9 will effectively be still in grade 3 the stage is thus set for edtech platforms to respond to this knowing anxiety during the pandemic they are good at marketing and they can sell their products and these parents might think that by just subscribing to these products children could completely in this sector attending the classes are also other things attached to the school education like entrance examination and told says Eldo Matthews a senior education policy researcher for disquieted parents who otherwise have no recompense for the lost education these pervasive marketing claims serve as piecemeal answers we wanted to subscribe to them so that our children move ahead in life get educated enough and make up for what they lost says amrita wistfully ultimately These services were too expensive for her as well. This COVID situation has helped these companies to expand. Matthew says, in 2021, edtech companies grew in market share by 70%, as compared to 45% the year before. They are marketing people, and they are using, utilizing this situation to sell their products. These platforms are a dream, one of a perceived gap in the consumerist market. but this time a gap in pedagogy does exist which makes their effort to sell edtech as a solution that much more insidious the creating aspiration is an important part of this fear based marketing when edtech platforms frame a dream they create a dichotomy between what students need versus what these companies claim these students need think coding upskilling getting exam ready a range of courses that can cost up to rupees 2 lakhs although not many can afford the fees for these services the assumption that they are only being marketed to those who can afford them is false anxious parents and students from all socioeconomic strata form a tempting target audience for these platforms manchika who teaches in the districts of koregaon and prahladpur in new delhi chuckles by talking about how every student in her class knows of at least byju's as a platform students end up not knowing about the free apps or the free classes that they can access on youtube because these companies advertise so aggressively even in the newspaper it ends up being in students and parents faces she says a report by avanti fellows an ngo working in the education sector recently found that the exposure of these apps in peri urban areas doubled from 24% to 52% in the last year but at the same time the time spent on these platforms remained low somewhere between 2 to 3 minutes this could be due to the limited scope of study material or the paid packages within these apps in some cases these apps exploit low income parents through loan based subscriptions resulting in families being pushed into debt banshika immediately thinks of a viral linkedin post 
A Baidu's teacher regaled about how happy he felt on realizing his students had put up a picture of him right next to God. The family had in fact taken a loan to get that module subscription. A report in Rest of the World painted a worrying picture of this trend, a punishing internet culture based around profiling clients, hard-sell tactics, and unattainable targets for salespersons inevitably means selling products to underprivileged families who cannot afford them. Pradeep Punya, an education activist and a whistleblower of Baiju's aggressive sales operation, points to the neat formula these platforms tend to apply. So they don't have a single phone number or an email ID or a single cancel button on their app where you can just press it and say cancel this subscription I don't need it. The process is call your uh, the BDA guy who uh, sold you the product and the BDA guy will first convince you not to cancel it. Then if you force him then he will say like okay I'll make you talk to somebody and then some yeah, education counselor will talk to the parents and eventually you know they'll make them pass the 15 days trial period. Once that happens nobody's going to cancel this subscription. However, cancellation requires writing an email in English and a lot of parents neither know how to write an email or English. Making anxious parents jump through the ringer is morally dubious in every which way. But for underprivileged parents, it reeks of exploitation. Arguably, there was a gap in education even before the pandemic. The pandemic just spotlighted it. Think of it this way, there was like a huge building with a lot of cracks and somebody put a lot of pressure on that building. Now it's breaking down, says Banshika. When asked what is missing from the conversation about the COVID learning gap, Akshay Saxena, co-founder of Avanti Fellows, asks, I don't know what's in the conversation. Biggest thing I think that people don't recognize enough is that most kids would have learned nothing. There's very little evidence that beyond elite students, anyone has learned anything meaningful from a competency perspective over the last two years. The truth of it is likely to be that most kids are going to be two years behind when they come back to school. So that in itself has some significant knock-on effects, right? Moreover, there is also a lack of understanding around the scale of the learning gap. Two years into the pandemic, there is simply not enough data around how deeply COVID has impacted students' learning. The central government recently admitted to not having this record in the first place. How many students, of what age groups, across which geographical areas, these are all questions in the wind. The serious thing that's missing is about a longitudinal study about the impact of COVID, especially in the school sector. Elhu Matthews says, Everything in the school sector depends on perception. We don't know much about what's happening inside the schools, unlike the higher education sector where colleges and university students are more organized. Collecting data through monitoring standardized tests is also a process riddled with loopholes. A lot of teachers are tampering with those results to make sure that it looks like that students are coming to school or that uh, students are not actually impacted or that the gap is not as wide. Manchika points out. In other words, there's a grassroots attempt to not let out the severity of this education gap. And if the baseline data is itself so polluted, Manchika notes, then any efforts towards covering up that gap will be tokenistic at best and absent at worst. Recently, 
the government proposed restricting the kind of claims edtech companies make. However, the companies protested this, saying they will self-regulate themselves. And in my opinion, that's a joke. You know, the same people who created all the myths will now clear the the myths themselves. Ah, uh, they're not going to do it. It's just a tactic. This is not the same for other countries, which have stringent laws in place about what kind of claims these private players in the education market make. Akshay also believes that we should treat education with a similar lens as healthcare. Just like you won't allow marketing of unproven drugs to children, he says, there needs to be some check and balance on what companies are allowed to tell parents and students their products to. The solution in the end points to a glaring need to provide a free, high-quality alternative to these exploitative education services. Banchika notes that the current digital material given by the government in terms of e-books and applications is clunky to use, has average content quality and mostly fails in terms of infrastructure. Also, there remains limited awareness about these government offerings. The lack of government intervention significantly contributes to the void in which for-profit education thrives. According to Akshay, this is similar to the overall crisis in school education. If government schools are bad, people are going to private schools no matter how economically or logically exhausting they are. The problem, Akshay says, is that there is no alternative. What will the parents do? They will buy something or the other. So I think it's like if we don't as a country invest in education in public free public education both online and offline by the way, this is always going to keep happening, right? This podcast is brought to you by TS Studios, the production company that brings the Swaddle's creative point of view to original podcasts and films. <laughs>